A word of caution for bonafide listeners. This episode includes language and topics some might find offensive. If that's a concern, we recommend you skip this episode. Welcome to Bonafide, conversations in good faith about faith with Jonathan Stormer. We have a breaking news story to tell you about. A plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center. Today we've had a national tragedy. Christianity, it's under siege. Study after study shows Christianity is not the force it once was. But we are going to protect Christianity. Even before COVID, a growing number of Americans were moving away from organized religions. The group called Religious Nuns has steadily grown. What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Welcome Back to Bonafide. I'm here today with my friend Jessica, who I went to both. You, you went to ACU too, didn't you? Yes, I did undergrad at Harding and then grad school at ACU. Did you pledge a club at Harding? I did. <laughs> what what club did you pledge? Uh, I think they're no longer around. I was Tri Kappa. Oh, okay. Oh, they're, why are they no longer around? Is it I, because I, of the unfortunate? I maybe hope, hopefully because of <laughs> yeah. the initials. There's a surely, yeah. <laughs> surely somebody at some point had to be like, you know what? I think KKK is a bad brand for like a, a anything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's a bad uh, brand for anything. Um, it was very unfortunate. Yeah. Wait. So, um, Tri-Kappa is gone now. They don't have it anymore. I I don't know. I have not been to Cersei or Harding in a long time, but I heard at some point along the way that Tri-Kappa disbanded. Mm-hmm. Um, they, did they get disbanded or? Okay, yeah. So we're, yeah. <laughs> we're this is no a problem with doing it. This is the problem with doing these conversations with long-term friends as you go off these rabbit trails because you're like catching up, catching yeah. up. Yes. Um, okay, so you're you were a Bible major at Harding, right? Yes. I remember you went on a didn't you go to like Africa for mission stuff for a couple of interns? I did not do any. I did all of my What'd intern you, stuff domestically. Yeah. Uh, were you like student ministry intern? Yeah, youth and family ministry. So I got to Harding. I started in 2000. Um, I guess you just want me to like kind of give a little yeah, yeah. background. That work? Okay. Um, I got to Harding in 2000 was not a Bible major when I got to Harding because I had been told girls couldn't do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I had a different major my freshman year um, and realized like halfway through my freshman year that girls could be a Bible major, which is what I had wanted to do before I went to Harding uh, and transferred um, to my major to youth and family ministry uh, and spent my whole time at Harding like getting my degree in youth and family ministry, wanting to be a youth minister, um, which anybody familiar in the Church of Christ knows that a woman wanting to do that is not, uh, it was not common at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it um, was. It is now, but back in 2000 and 2000. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was yeah. it was not common. Uh, being a female Bible major at Harding was an adventure in and of itself because I was frequently um, there were classes that I was not technically allowed to take because I was a woman. Um, mm. <laughs> and Man, so I, there, yeah, there's some stories there. <laughs> so I, it was you and like Kimberly. 
if I remember correctly, who were uh, female yeah. Bible majors at Harding that I, I took classes with. Oh, uh, no, and then um, Kira Kelso. Yeah, Kira, a little, yeah, I think she was a year older than I was. Um, but yeah, like, they just, it wasn't common for there to be, like, full, like, a lot of Bible minors, um, mm-hmm. but who were women, but not a lot of Bible majors. And there were definitely some issues with, like, coursework and classes. I had one class where the guys got to vote if I got to stay in class. I was, what? Yes. No way. Yes. So there was this class. Are you, you were, kidding? I am not kidding you. Uh, so there was this class we were required to take that was intro to ministry or something. Uh, Dr. Neller taught the class and there was a woman's version. There was like a girl's version and a guy's version. Uh, but the girl's version was really geared towards like ministers wives. And the guy's <laughs> version was like ministerial taxes and like weddings and funerals and like all of the like, yeah, yeah, the Mary and Barry class. Yeah, so, yes, the Mary and Barry class. Um, So, technically, girls were not allowed to take that class with the guys. And I had a wonderful advisor who I will not name because I think he still works at Harding and I don't want to get him fired for, like, like Mm. overriding the system to get me in the class. But I showed up the first day of class, only girl in the class. Um, Adam, who I think you've had on the Oh, yeah, I love Adam. Uh, was in there and so it was all of these guys that were like in Adam's class they were a year older than I was um were in this class and literally they had me leave and got to vote on whether or not I could stay in the class with them (laughs) how did Adam vote I got to stay in the class, so hopefully <laughs> he voted for me. I don't know. We were really. Did they tell you like it was unanimous or <laughs> it was tight? No, but my favorite part was like when you got to the Mary part of the Mary and Barry, where there's like a they we did like a like a practice wedding in the chapel at the student center. I don't know if your class did this, but we did like a yeah. practice wedding at the chapel. Uh, we were assigning parts, and somebody was like, "Well, who does Jessica want to marry?" And Dr. Neller was like, no, if we're being diplomatic, we're like voting for everything. So I was the father of the bride in our oh, wow. <laughs> practice Yeah, that wedding. makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> did you, really wait, funny. did you get voted to be the father of the bride? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, you weren't campaigning for this, were you? I, well, I didn't want to be the bride. Right, so. sure. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to like, no, thank you. Um, but yeah, I was the, I was the father of the bride. Um, in the like practice wedding, but <laughs> I have, do you, so I have so many fond memories of Harding for me because I was homeschooled, grew up poor, didn't have any, like when I first got to Harding, I was like, people are everywhere. And I had like no expectations of higher education because I didn't think I was going to go. Right. Um, but then like looking back on it, I know other people have had different kinds of experience, especially being a woman <laughs> In, in 1999 to 2003 in Arkansas, it seems like that would have been kind of, you kind of pioneered some stuff for some people, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, it was, honestly, I think I, part of me wanted to do it because they told me I couldn't. Like mm. in every What are you on the Enneagram? <laughs> I think or I'm you, an eight. Yeah, you are. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, like, 
every time somebody was like, you can't do this, I was like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and we had, I had professors who like, I mean, it was just the wildest experience that you would go to class and then one of your professors would speak at, um, like, what is it called when they, like, lectureship? Like, what I had an experience right. where I was, like, I had a professor. The professor spoke at lectureship and did, like, a thing about how women in ministry were, like, going to hell, basically. And I was, like, like you, I know some women in ministry. Like, literally, I'm required yeah. to pass your class to graduate, and you're going to be, like, nice yeah. to me, like, face-to-face and, like, pass me in this class all the while, like, secretly judging me for trying to do this. It was sometimes, like, a really weird experience. It was really difficult. A lot of people were great. Um, a lot of the guys in the program were not so awesome. Like, anytime we had, like, a required devotional was, like, part of your, like, graded thing in a class. Um guys would like get up and leave when it was my turn to do it like half the class yeah. would get up and leave um, I get it I would have done that too <laughs> I mean I, and I, I like you know I I, I remember uh, before my junior year at Harding I would have been that guy yeah. um, and I, I don't I didn't I did okay so my mom is an eight on the Enneagram my mom is like I, all my best friends in life are eights. I get along really well with eights. But, so, you know, push push back on this all you want, but you, you kind of get what you inherit. And, you know, college is a time when you're kind of mm-hmm. making your own faith and your own decisions and stuff. But that would that would have been, I mean, the church I grew up in, there was once a sermon on why women couldn't wear pants. And yeah, <laughs> it was a good church. It was a good church. It was just like super, like, you know, a lot of it was just cultural constructs from the 1930s or 40s. And wait, yeah. you can like, you're okay to like teach classes and be a minister, but you don't wear pants, do you? <laughs> oh, I no. still have my standards. Right. Yeah, definitely don't wear pants. <laughs> Not wearing pants right now. <laughs> so don't make me stand okay. up. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Zoom has changed things, hasn't it? <laughs> Zoom has changed things. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think a I'll lot like of. I say, it, like, I get how hard that would. I, I like. I'm raised. Yes. You know, I get it, but I also understand like what I was like, and. Yeah, and it was not like I was breaking down some barriers, but at the time, I f- like I had a lot of compassion and grace. Like I understood it. Like I grew up. Um, I was born in North Central Arkansas in a teeny tiny little town. Where outside, at? Uh, do you know where Clinton is? Outside sure. Of, I'm from Arkansas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm from a little town outside of Clinton uh, originally and then moved to West Memphis when I was five. Um, grew up in the Memphis area, but grew up in a church, like in a family that was like church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday yeah. night, Wednesday night. Um, it was just the expectation. I went to private Christian school from kindergarten through high school. Um, Harding was the like obvious next step. Um, I think I had expressed interest in being a preacher when I was like 
12 and gave our preacher at our church like a heart attack because I was like a woman and like <laughs> you're you're no like let's nip this in the bud you can't do that um yeah. and so I got to Harding and it was like I had had really positive experiences in the church growing up um yeah I was raised by my grandmother and my great-grandmother um and our church family was like a great support system for them. They had this toddler, <laughs> you know, like I started yeah. living with them when I was two and a half and our church family really was like super supportive of them, um, really took us in. My grandmother passed away when I was 15 um, and my youth group really kind of just like made sure I survived, right? Like mm. I was crashing on people's couches. There were people in the church, like one of the elders at our church had like an auto body shop he owned. Um, and he knew, A, I didn't know when to get my oil changed and B, I couldn't afford it. Um, and so somebody would just come to school and get my car and take it and do all of the like service work on it and bring it back to me. Like they really just like took care of me and made sure I made it like out of high school and got to college and really um, supported me through all of that. And it was just a really positive community. Um, and that's why I was interested in youth ministry because I wanted yeah. to, to get help. back. Yeah. I wanted to help other kids have that experience because it was so, um, so positive for me. And I had heard, like, as a woman, you couldn't do this. I grew up in that environment. But I also, like I mentioned, was raised by my grandmother and my great-grandmother, who were, like, very strong women. Both of their husbands had passed away. Like, I grew up in a house with, like, you didn't need a guy to do anything, right? They were just doing it mm -hmm. because they had to. They were survivors. Um, so, like, v very strong-willed, I think. <laughs> like, I came mm -hmm. out of it as, like, well, a woman can do anything. Like, that's um, fine. And, you know, a lot of people at Harding said you couldn't. And then I was like, well, now I need to, like, learn how to read this in the Greek to see if that's what it really says. Like, I need to figure mm -hmm. this out for myself. Um, and came away with a really strong belief that a Y chromosome isn't a spiritual gift, right? Like, it doesn't... <laughs> <laughs> like the possession of a Y chromosome doesn't make you better. <laughs> yeah. um, it is not like that sure. is not a magical gift bestowed by God. Um, so, you know, graduated from Harding, wasn't sure what to do. The job offers were not rolling in. Like I had interned in Texas. I interned in Searcy. Um, and they just like, I was a female trying to be a youth minister in the early 2000s, there were not a ton of opportunities. Um, so I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So I did what I think like a lot of kids do when they graduate college, I went to grad school, like that's the next logical step. Um, mm -hmm. And I knew a bunch of people who were at Abilene. Adam was there. Uh, Sam Garner was there. There were just a whole bunch of people that were. Brian, Brian Harrison. Yeah, Brian was down there. Like a whole bunch of guys that I knew. From I Harding. love that whole group that went yeah, from Harding just to AC. Like, and they had like what they called the embassy. Their house was the Harding embassy there yeah. in Abilene. Um, and so it was a bunch of guys I was friendly mm. with. Like they were nicer when I was at Harding than the guys who were in my own year. 
Um, like I spent mm-hmm. more time with them um, while I was at Harding before they graduated than I did with like the guys my own year. Uh, so I went to Abilene, uh, did a year of grad school down there and met just amazing people like yeah women doing amazing things like we were allowed to like lead chapel like Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) just like stuff that was like this would have never happened at Harding and it was really great for me um and I think it was really great that I went to a not while ACU is like Church of Christ it was like out of the Harding bubble and a little more open-minded at the grad school level um and it really kind of helped me dive deeper into my belief and like deconstruct some stuff. Uh, and so towards the end of my first year there at Abilene, I got a job offer. There was a church in Fairfax, Virginia that was looking yeah. for a female youth minister. Um, and I went ahead and interviewed because jobs are few and far between for women. And I was like, i like, we'll see what happens. Um, I got hired. So I left grad school and moved up um, to the DC area. And um, that was a little bit of a roller coaster. I think half the church was really ready to have a woman in ministry and the other half was not. Um, Wait, well, you were the, uh, so you remember like you picked me up and drove me around DC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you had stopped working there yes. and you were a lobbyist at the time. Yeah. So I worked there for about a year. It was a really, really rough year. Um, it was not like a pleasant experience. Uh-huh. Um, and I left that year and I wasn't sure if it was full-time ministry or faith like I wasn't sure where the problem was like it had been a really really rough year and and I wasn't sure what came next for me um so instead of jump jumping into another church situation like trying to find um another church to work for I just took a like a regular job like a desk job at a a lobbying organization here in DC because I like DC and was like I'm just going to do a job that's like a nine to five. I don't have to work on the evenings and the weekends and can like reset and figure out where I'm at, um, before I jump into something else. Um, and actually like stumbled into a really great career that is all the things I loved about ministry without all the things I didn't love. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so I do. Lobbying is all the things No, I do education, uh, adult education, like professional development. Um, So I get to like help people be better at their jobs. Right now I work for a government agency that does economic development and um, I get to help people learn Um, and I'm always learning different things and it's very social and you get to help people be the best versions of themselves in their career and you get to see them grow and blossom and go on to do really cool things um so it's all the like supportive like community building that I loved about ministry without all of the like uh doctrine infighting stuff that I didn't love yeah I when you when you picked me up from Fairfax that and drove me around DC that was my first time in DC but weren't you like a lobbyist for the meat Company yeah, something? so I was doing education programming for a trade association that represented like meat packers and processors. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I remember thinking, like, do, do meat people really need a lobbyist? It seems like you've won. Like, you've got yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a real, it's a very DC-specific, like, genre of job. Uh, but the pay was good, and it, they were hiring, and I just happened to, like, stumble into it. Um, but it all worked out. But it definitely gave me room to, like, wrap my head around, like, where I was faith-wise outside of ministry. Because yeah. you're in ministry, you know, it's really hard, like, to kind of sure. balance your own, like, belief and curiosity and all of that kind of stuff with the expectations of the people in the congregation and the children and the sure. parents and especially in youth ministry, um, what parents right, will tolerate. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, that That's well said. It's ba- difficult to balance your own kind of curiosities because there are, there've been times, you know, like I, I've, I've never been somebody who like only reads the approved stuff. Um, like I, I, I'm doing a series called Adam and Eve, a theology of the body right now that I'm, I'm actually planning for the fall and I'm reading everything from Pope John Paul to um, disciples of Christ to uh, this Harvard um, feminist who is talking about the, the wounds of the body. And anyway, I, I think it's really fascinating, but it is difficult because you know you have to stand up and give a word from the Lord and to a, a certain people. And um, anyway, yeah, I appreciate that way of thinking about it. Okay, so you leave ministry. Do you leave church at the same time, or is that like a gradual process, or have you left church? I have left church, um, and I would say it was a gradual process. Uh, not so much that what I believed gradually changed. Like I was pretty set on where I was in the belief system, which is probably why ministry didn't like really shake out for me. Um, but the community part of it, like I would say that was harder for me to Mm -hmm. leave. Um, the community in the church as opposed to like the, like the, faith part of church I guess (laughs) like that was the gradual transition out was like these were my people um Mm -hmm. and how do I like how do I step away from that community I've built from like I found and that is like Mm -hmm. my friends and like my social circle and my support system in this place I have no family and no connection Mm -hmm. and so um you know it's funny, like that was the part that was the scariest when I was like, okay, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep coming here and sitting in this pew and like listening to this stuff that I do not believe or agree with. Um, so I have to step away. And all of the people that I was really close with, like I'm still really close with. It didn't matter oh, that good. I like stepped away. Um so that are they these church people that you were close with? Yeah, yeah. They're, are they, they still church? They're people? still church people. Um, they still go to that same church, uh, and we're still. That makes my heart happy. That yeah, y'all are. It, yeah, um, 
and so it's been, I actually just had a birthday on Saturday and had, happy birthday. Uh, thank you. And we had a big party and the person at the party that I've known the longest was one of the women from that church that I met when I was there for my interview. Mm. Um, and so I've known her since spring of 2005. Um, and it's just really like, you know, you build your people and you keep them. Uh, but the faith piece I just had to step away from, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it didn't happen overnight. Like I, I went to Harding. Like <laughs> yeah, I didn't, sure. like you- I, <laughs> like I, I was a like firm believer in like the traditional church of Christ um, kind of doctrine for my whole life um, with the exception of thinking that, women a could wear pants and b um, <laughs> could speak up like um you've been lost for a long time <laughs> right you right women could um, wear so right. like acapella music was acapella music like something you were like no this I, is legit I, women women can do anything but but no, play no, guitar <laughs> right no instruments no um I appreciate acapella music. I will say the other thing that I really miss about going to church is like, there is nothing like a bunch of Church of Christers busting out in like a four part harmony. And you learn that right from birth. Yeah. Um, and I miss that. Like, there's no other mm-hmm. place you can just be like, hey, let's get together and like sing a bunch of stuff. Um, can, but, I, can I tell you something, Jessica? Yeah. Every single person. When I ask what they miss, it's the community and the singing. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, even even though they're like, I don't believe it. It's like, but I like singing it. Yeah. And I don't, there's something there. I don't know what it is. but Maybe I should start so- a club of like the former <laughs> Church of Christers and all we do is get together and have a potluck and sing. And we can oh, sing. Oh, man, <laughs> I would be at that club. I would be at that club. I can be like your token believer or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, can can you tell us kind of what the first um, threads were that you started to like question, doubt, deconstruct? Yeah. Um, so it's there are like a couple of different moments, and it kind of all just like fell into making sense to me in a way. Um, you know, Church Christ big on proselytization, right? Like we do mission trips, we do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never been super comfortable with that, even when I was like a firm believer. Like I was always like, this is a little weird, like what we do with yeah, sure. missions, a little weird. Um, but, uh, it's part of what we do. And, um, I took a class at Harding. I th- it was like the most popular Bible class that even like the non-Bible majors wanted to take um, on world religions. Oh yeah, with Monty. Yeah, and um, it was very affirming to me to go through that class and like hear about all of the things like we had in common with these other religions and these like core tenets of belief and faith yeah. that other religions had. Um, you know, we took a trip where we went to a Hindu temple and we, um, you know, we like met with leaders from all of these different um, faith organizations. And um, 
it was very edifying for me to see like mm. to get to know all of these other faith traditions and like see that humanity and then yeah. I took a class at in grad school at Abilene and I'm pretty sure it was a class class on like where ethics and faith meet um definitely felt in a little over my head in the class I was Aquino like, oh, was it Aquino yeah yeah <laughs> oh yeah boy I think yeah, everybody like, feels over their head in Aquino yeah I was like, I felt like the dumbest person in the room. We met at Starbucks and I was just like, I am like out of my depth. Um, but in one of the like readings we had, and I was looking for it, cannot find it to give you like a citation, but we were having conversations on um, like statistics of conversion, right? Like people who are born into a faith um, and raised in a faith, like what are the statistics of those who convert, right? Um, and it's really, really low, right? Like I, I was reading Pew Research recently. They did one and it was like 75% of people who are born into a faith stay in that faith in their adulthood. Like people just don't convert. They may leave, but they don't. It is very rare for you to be raised in a faith tradition and then be like, I don't like this one. I'm going to join that one, right? Like that conversion doesn't happen very often. Um, there are always exceptions to the rule, but like, it's just not super common. And I like trying to piece all of this together, right? If like God is all of the omnis, right? He's like all knowing and perfect and we're made in God's image and he doesn't make mistakes and like all of these kind of things. Um, and humans don't convert, that's a feature, not a bug, right? Like if, if like looking at humanity, like the human brain is wired in such a way that we don't leave the faith tradition we're raised in, I cannot wrap my head around a God requiring belief in Christianity to get to whatever version heaven is in because a just God is not going to predetermine somebody who is born to a Hindu family uh, in India or wherever, right? Like to hell, like that's not just or fair or any of the things I believe God to be, um, right? Like that to me was like this moment of like, I need my worldview to make sense and if we're creating God's image and God doesn't make mistakes and humans are statistically unlikely to convert, then that can't be like a real mistake that we're unlikely to convert, which means their faith and has to be valid in some way, right? So that made me take a step back and like already I was uncomfortable with like missions and proselytization. I was like, okay, like I need to like fit all of this together and Dr. Fortner at Harding. Oh man, I love him. Had this analogy he would use about faith, about Apollo thirteen. Did he ever oh, like? Yeah, I use I, I use that yes. all the time in sermons. You got to work yeah. with what they have on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, in my head, kind of wrapped around like what we understand of God and what we understand of faith is like Apollo thirteen religion right like it is mm -hmm. a lot bigger than we can understand and what we know of God is like what he 
revealed to us that people could understand at the time. Um, so it's probably a lot bigger than we can grasp or understand. And there's probably sure. validity in a lot of different things. And I, like, as I was doing this, like, mental deconstruction for myself, I was like, if, like, I truly believe that it's, like, bigger than I can understand, why couldn't it be that it's the same God that all of these different faiths are coming out of their own version of Apollo 13 religion? Like, we do have, like, core tenets, um, you know, being kind to your other humans, like, being mm -hmm. good humans is, like, a core tenet of all of these different faiths. Um, but with a different definition of being good. Right. And like kind to your neighbor, right? Like loving people, sure. right? Like at the very core of all of these, like not fundamentalist sects, but like the very yeah. core of all of these religions is like kindness. Um and I was like, maybe it's just bigger than I understand. And so I, even in grad school at Abilene, before I went into ministry, was in this place where I was like, I'm not sure we've got a handle on what this actually is. And I'm okay with that, right? Like, I was just in this place where I was like, I'm okay not understanding it. Like, that's fine for me. Um, pretty sure, like, people, like... Muslims aren't going to hell like I'm pretty sure that like Buddhists are fine like I'm I was in this place where I'm like I'm pretty sure we don't fully understand it um I'm okay with that so like the boundaries I set for myself were um I'm never going to encourage proselytization I'm going to talk about other faiths in um, respectful ways respectful ways like yeah. I even did a series on it um with my kids when I was a youth minister um I'm never gonna stand up and say that somebody who doesn't believe what the church of Christ believes is like going to hell um and then my other boundary was that I wouldn't teach the first six chapters of Genesis because I don't believe they're like I think they're like an allegory of God they're not necessarily like a science textbook um sure and that's not but you can, you, I don't <laughs> preach Genesis 1 or 2 as science. <laughs> no, I just growing up homeschooled. Genesis right. was my science textbook. So. But in like the early 2000s in the Church of Christ, like. Oh, yeah. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Like Genesis, yeah. like saying that, like, I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure it wasn't seven calendar days was like. Mm -hmm asking to be stoned um so like i just like set my own boundaries it's like, <laughs> yeah. so, like i'm not gonna do this like i'm not gonna teach this because there's no way i can do it without lying to kids so we're just mm -hmm. gonna say that like this isn't my sphere i'm not gonna do it um and that i was very comfortable with questions in like an age-appropriate way and I was open with saying, particularly to like my high school kids that are starting to question that part of their brain was forming, like, I don't know. Like, we don't know. It's okay to have questions. Um, it's okay to explore. Um, and that doesn't make you real popular with parents who are sending their kids to youth group for like, you know, indoctrination. So... Like, I kind of was in this place already when I was in ministry that I was like, this doesn't, like, I don't understand it all. I don't have to understand it all. 
um, and that's okay. Um, also, like, you know, I'm very inclusive and open-minded. Um, like, I am proudly an ally of the LGBTQIA community. Um, Were you back in 2000? Uh, in, like, the mid-2000s, yeah. Like, at Harding, maybe not so much, but, like... Um, and I think some of it is just you move to larger communities, you get exposed to more people. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and so I would say when I have left church, what I have left is like this construct that I have yet to find a faith community where it is okay to question. It is mm-hmm. okay to be like, I think all these other faith groups are probably fine. <laughs> mm. Um and that I think all of these people are humans and, you know, we should love them and hold them. And it should not be a situation of what is very popular in the Church of Christ, or at least was, um, love the sin or hate the sin. Um, that we should just be accepting and supportive and love is love. And, um, and that should be okay. And that mix of things not real popular in the church community um so for me i would say i left church but not faith that i still believe huh. there um i don't know for sure what's out there <laughs> but there's something yeah but but so- i think and it's not um But I've just reached a point where I'm okay not knowing and that what guides me is a very strong moral compass of treating others with dignity and respect and conducting myself in an ethical way and treating people how I would want to be treated and fiercely loving the people in my community no matter where they are. Um, And it has nothing to do with anything that's in a book, right? It's just... The book being, like, the Bible. Right. Like, it's not, like, none of me loving my neighbor has anything to do with, like, what's in the Bible. Obviously, that's, like, a founding... In the Bible. Right. Yeah. And it's, like, a founding piece of my worldview, because that's what I grew up with. Um, But I'm never doing it because I want them to believe a certain thing. I'm not even doing it because I grew up believing a certain thing. I'm just doing it because that's what you should be doing to the people in your Have community. You, so I, I didn't know that you still believed. I, I, um, <laughs> when, when the, so, I, um, Hey, welcome back. I'm glad. To, um, do you, so do you pray? No. So uh, like, you, so so you believe, but you don't pray. I believe in like, I would say the closest thing I've ever found to a definition for where I'm at is like founding fathers level deism and that, oh, I believe, yeah. and that I believe there is probably something out there in the universe. Mm. Um, but I, I don't pray. I don't think. Because you cut out really, all the, you cut out all the, uh, miracles in the new Testament. Yeah. Right. Like I just, don't, I don't believe, I don't believe necessarily that. I don't believe that the, 
Bible has a corner on whatever is out there. I think the Bible is probably a version of revelation of something um, back to the Apollo 13 situation, but that it isn't. We got to explain Apollo 13 because okay. I, I love the analogy, but it's not going to make sense to people. Yeah. So do you want to explain Dr. Fortner's point? Yeah. And hopefully I'll, I'll explain it as I understand it and remember it to be. Um, and Dr. Fortner, if you're listening to this and I get it wrong, um, there's no way Dr. Fortner's listening. <laughs> you can come, you can come find me. <laughs> um, so in the movie Apollo 13, uh, highly recommend you watch it if you haven't. I think there's an entire generation that hasn't seen this movie. Um, but wow. in the in the movie Apollo 13, they're like out in space. They're like stuck out there. They need this part made for the spaceship. And so it's broken. The spaceship it's broken. Is like broken. Yeah. yeah. They're like out in space with a broken spaceship and they need this part. And there's a scene where... Back on Earth, there's like a bunch of guys in a conference room and the guy walks in and he's like, they need part X, Y, Z. And I need you to figure out how to make it out of what is in this box. And he like sets a box down and he's like, this is what they've got on the spaceship. So you have to be able to, they need to make it out of what's here because that's all they got. It's not the best way to do it. It's not the most efficient way to do it. It is not what you would choose to do. It is not a first case scenario, but this is what they've got. So we've got to utilize what they have. And, you know, the conversation with Dr. Fortner was like, sometimes God's revelation is that, right? Like I have to explain this, like I have to reveal myself in a way that is what is in the box. That's what they have access to. Humans on earth have access to what's in the box. It's not perfect. It's not the fullest extent of what could be there, um, but it's what they have access to. Um, And that, I recall that conversation we had it in class around like the concept of like baptism and some other cultural concepts um similarities of different religions and like you know um like and dissimilarities yes um but like you even look at like the gilgamesh epic which is a flood narrative right and so like pieces of this like exist in like narrative across like what was the known world at the time but there are even flood narratives in like other Sure, because um, like new a world lot of people religions. think there was a pretty large flood yeah. that happened that would have like been like, attested to and made. Yeah. Anyway, um, so <laughs> like God reveals Himself like in the Apollo thirteen the analogy, that, like it's yeah, like yeah. what they have access to in that box. Um, so. I don't remember. So can I? Can I push? Yeah. No, that was it. Yeah. So can I begin to like push back on yeah. on this from? So let me first say I'm glad you're a believer. I'm glad that there's still like deism of some kind. Um, because before we were recording, I told you like um, atheism is largely a white male left leaning phenomenon, and so um, when you said like you still believe, I was like, huh. Well, <laughs> belief but is like it's I, like a it, it's sure, a different it is not like I would not say in like a church setting that I am a believer because I do not you don't be- want to sign all the all the different you know there's a lot of weight that comes with that statement the Christian like, sexual I, ethic like, 
like yeah, I am a sense. believer. I do not believe. So when I say I left church, like I left all of that, like doctrine, yeah. purity, what did, culture. What did you do with Jesus? It, it's a good story. <laughs> so was he real? Is he a real person? I he might be. I I don't know that I believe that he's like the son of God. I I think. Um, Good teacher. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's kind of the same place I put like a lot of this other stuff. Like it's a version. It's a story of a higher power. Um, And so the reason I say like, I don't believe he's the son of God. And I, I think he probably was just like a good teacher, seemingly like pretty good ethically upstanding guy. Um, That we crucified yeah, right. Um, but have, like, it's a, like, if you like go all in on like, I believe like what the Bible says about Jesus, like Christians are like very hardcore that like they have a corner on truth, um, mm. that their version of whatever this is, like, if you believe in Jesus, like that's the only option, right? Like that is like very hardcore in traditional Christian communities, at least in my experience. Um, and I don't believe that. So like I have so to take if you a did, step back. If it wasn't, if it wasn't that, if it wasn't like, uh, so, so for me growing up, when you say proselytizing, I was like proselytizing Baptist. Right. And, and <laughs> it's very church you know, of Christ. Like right. Catholics and, so and Baptists I, and everybody are awful. Right. <laughs> and now I love Catholics and I love Baptists. And, um, so for me, you know, I think there's a lot of reaction, the more fundamentalist you grow up to like the, the bow and arrow theory, I call it the tiger something. Like if somebody came from Freed Hardman to ACU, I was almost always like, see you in atheism or whatever. <laughs> Because it was like, once you deconstruct the stuff that ought to be deconstructed, if those were your anchor points, you never had anything a little bit more stable, like the the big T tradition, like mm. the, and I'm talking about the stuff that Orthodox and Catholics and, so Apollo 13 stuff, um, I would say that the cultural constructs we're working with today are I think pretty problematic. Um, so you, you talk about like, like you talk about how, like if you're born in, you know, Madagascar or, or you know, Sri Lanka, you're probably going to be a Buddhist. If you're born in Iran, Iran, you're going to be a Muslim. And if you're born in the West in 20th century, you're going to be a secular relativist, which is actually the religion. I mean, it's that, um, have you ever heard the parable? Let me do it like this. And you probably have even heard this point. And feel free to push back. <laughs> the parable of the blind man with the elephants. Have you heard this? Like the six blind men and the elephant. And they like are feeling it and they all feel something different. And they describe yeah, and they're it differently. All okay. So who sees that? I think that's the religious vantage point of a secular relativist. That is like... You know, they've climbed this mountain and they look down on Islam and Buddhism and Christianity and Judaism. And they're like, oh, all these. Because I do think, here's here's what I'm going with this, Jessica. 
Uh, I'm trying to engage this book, A Secular Age by Charles Taylor, <clears throat> which is a very compelling book. And it, it will give you the feeling you had in Aquino's class. It does me all the time. Like it's taken me 10 years to read this book, but it's very good. And he says, one of the challenges in a secular age is to appreciate the sense of fullness or transcendence without diminishing it. And so like to look at a work of art and think how beautiful it is. And then you're like, oh, it's just chemicals firing in my brain. To make love with your partner and, you know, feel deeply in love with them and just think, it's just chemicals firing in my brain. Or when it comes to stuff like world religions, to look at them and say, it's all human constructs and they're basically all the same. So like me and a a Muslim imam would have a lot of common ground, but we'd also have a significant amount of difference. And, And does that make sense? Like... The Apollo 13 thing, the stuff that we're working with, I think is, it's not being fully transparent with itself, which is, it's a religious perspective that that you have shifted to, or that my friends have shifted to, in my opinion. Yeah, well, and I think, I think there is, for me, I... Appreciate. Come on, people. give me the eight energy. Give me the no. Eight I just energy. like I'm trying like, to like like wrap my head around this so I can be like clear in my thoughts. Um, sure. I think that I personally find like I appreciate people who are still like really active and supportive in their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with it I think if that's what brings you fullness like I'm never going to judge anybody for like being like active in their faith and like this still being like a major part of their life um I I do push back I think against faith communities that are exclusionary um and I, and to, to people in general and to, to the, to the world, um, I think in America, part of our problem here is that like religion has gotten tied up into like a whole bunch of other stuff, um, politics and social construct and what you believe and what you don't believe and like all this kind of stuff. And like, pardon my French, but that's all bullshit. Like all of it, like that is not what any of it's about. Even if you believe the Bible, like you're never going to come out of reading that book cover to cover and like end up where I think modern Christianity is. Like if you were really living. Can you say more about modern Christianity? Like Jesus was a radical. Like if you Mm. truly believe in that book and you read that, he was a radical. He was eating with prostitutes. He was throwing over tables in the temple. He was, you know, tax collectors and like the people he affiliated himself with very inclusive what were not the acceptable people in society that's right was very very inclusive um newsflash not a white guy like i don't know what's going on with all of your artwork but but like he was a brown brown yeah a brown man um who was not a christian right like let's get that clear like (laughs) not one um 
and was radically inclusive of all of these people. And modern Christianity doesn't look like that. Like in America, Christianity doesn't look like that. We spend, and that's part of my problem with like church. Um, We build these giant buildings and we get programs for people that are already in the building and we're not going out and wait so you don't like proselytizing though and now no, i don't want you to go out and convert somebody i want you to go out and feed them because it is the right Mm. thing to do sure right like giving people food is not about proselytizing like you should be able to go out and live the way Jesus would have lived and wanted you to live and like feed and clothe and whatever you did for the least of these you did for me, right? Like you should be able to do all of that and not once be like, I'm doing this because Jesus told me to like, you need to believe in Jesus. Like that's the exchange here. Like I'm going to feed you and build you a house or whatever. But the exchange is, is that you have to come to church. Like, what the actual F that's not like, that's not (laughs) what it's about. Like, that's my problem is like mission trips. We're like going to go somewhere and build some houses or stuff. But the exchange in that deal is that these people that live in this community are required to come sing with us every day while we're there. So is your beat? Okay. You're preaching first (laughs) off. Like you're selling very much like a Christian. Um, from the moment you go, Jesus was a radical on, it's like, okay, Jessica, I'm getting mixed signals here (laughs) because first off, there's a lot of churches like what you just described. Um, I, I am actually really big on evangelism and, and uh, part of it is I think the world is lost. And I don't mean that like in just some spiritual sense. I mean it in the sense of like half the people I grew up with are dead from overdose. Right. And like the, there is a, a correlate, um, maybe not a causation, but I think it could be. There's a causation or a correlation between the decline of religion and the decline and the decline of mental health. And so I don't. Yeah, have you heard this? I'm gonna push back on that because sure. I would say that religion, like I am sure that there is like some some there, but also. For people who are not cisgender, straight people, religion is actually, like, pretty detrimental to mental health, right? Like, um, there's a reason that, like, the transgender population has a higher suicide rate than any other, like, group of people in the country. Um, that like that bullying and homophobia that is rampant and like Christian communities is actually really detrimental to um, like middle school, high school, mental health, even into adulthood. Um, and so I think, do you think some, that that is a hundred percent on Christians. I do. Th- I think that Christian spaces, at least the Christian spaces I grew up in are not welcoming. Um, and, it can be very, very difficult. Um, and I should, I preface this and I have not been active in a church community in 17 years. So okay. it may be different. You. Yeah. It may be no, different I, now. I, do think, um, I think, okay, so I am, I'm pretty conservative on this. I have, I have a lot of gay friends and I don't say that like in a patronizing token way. Um, and, like I, I love them 
I think they love me. They call me a one man Sanhedrin on this, but they, they like, so let me say this. I think modern secular society, especially our generation and younger hide behind the myth of inclusion. There's nobody and there's no group of people that are fully inclusive. So for example, if I'm on the board of Greenpeace and I stop believing in global warming, those exclusive jerks on Greenpeace will kick me off. Because to be a part of something means to, you know, you got to be careful and trying to invite people to something that's not worth belonging to. Like well, there, there's something special about it. it but and, I will say that in a faith tradition that, that like your core founding principles are, and will I, so earlier you said that I was preaching. Part of that is like code switching. I grew up in this. I under like I understand like the founding principles and I can still like mm-hmm. like logic it out in a way that yeah, like, yeah. um I feel like people who still like radically believe actively it. believe yeah. like trying to get my point across in a way that is like constructive sure. to them. I'm because saying I'm, bring it, bring it. Because yeah, if I'm it. just like, ah, it's all like crap like that's not going to resonate because like people actually do like fervently believe this so like let's get back to like what Mm -hmm. you believe and where i think the problem is and like how you're living that out in a lot of ways um christianity and the faith community is supposed to be about loving your neighbor and, right. and like I enemy. said, ain't, right, but your neighbor can be your enemy, right? Like your neighbor is not necessarily people that look like you. Your neighbor is sure. literally everybody. Um, and you're supposed to treat people how you wanted, you want to be treated. And I, and this is where, like, part of where we talk about, like, where my faith breaks down, right? Like, um, Christianity is really big on the phrase love the sinner, hate the sin, right? Like we are going to accept you, but we are going to say like we don't approve of X. And I think that is probably perfectly fine when we're talking about decisions that people make, right? Like whatever you believe a sin is and you've made like an active decision to do something. Um, But when you go back to, like, when I was talking earlier about being born into certain religions and the way the human brain's wired and, like, my worldview requires that, like, if God is perfect and he doesn't make mistakes and we're created in God's image, he's not making mistakes, Um, like, some of this stuff is a feature, not a bug, Uh, I think we have proven that, like, sexual orientation is not a choice. Like, you didn't wake up and, like, actively choose to, like like women, (laughs) right? Like that is just like chemically how your brain was wired. Um, You know, I, I never made a conscious decision to like be attracted to men. That is just like how Mm. my brain is wired. Um, Honestly, with the state of like 
white cisgender men in America. Like, I wish I had been able to make a different choice because it's a wild, <laughs> wild world out there. If I get to, if I got to pick, I would not be picking dudes. Like, let's just like throw that out there. Oh my God. <laughs> like, just like, let's be real. It's not a well, choice. Well, this podcast took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, it's not a choice. And... God made us, and if that's how the brain is wired, and that is not a choice, like, and it has been that way for thousands of years, like, gay people aren't new. This is not, like, a phenomenon of, like, modern society. What do you think has changed? Because I do think, actually, so I would love to come back and do another podcast on this, because I feel like you've got some good points here that I would like to flesh out, but... Um, the point that we're getting at is inclusion versus exclusion. There's always going to be, uh, and, and by the way, I think Christianity is radically inclusive, uh, more so than almost anything else, but everybody has to give up stuff to be a part of it. And, and to your point, LGBT, um, people tend to have to sacrifice more than most to be a part of what the majority of the world, like some from like. The Nairobi to Madagascar would consider as a part of Christianity. So, fair point. And and I just think I for me I think being LGBTQIA plus whatever. If I do not think that is the decision they're making. So I think a faith construct that says you have to give up literally how you're born, like. It's not a choice they're making. It is like they are, their brain is wired that way from birth. Um, if you're saying that to be part of our community, you cannot love who you are wired to love. Um, I find it almost disrespective to like God because if he's not making mistakes, like, you know what I'm saying? Like they're born that way. Their brain sure. is wired that way. And you're asking them to say, I am not going to be my true authentic self to be part of this faith community, to believe in the person, the being that created me this way, but I can't be this way to be part of your community. Like I have a problem with that. And I think it winds up, it's like a circular conversation. Um, so can I, Yeah. I guess we're going to, let's just go here. Um, so you say you can't be true to yourself. The first most obvious question is which self? Like Christianity has said for a long time, we all have like, we're all a mixed bag of desire. And the like from Augustine on, the thing is, how are you going to properly order your desire? Because, um, I, I, here, have you ever heard of Edward Bernays, Jessica? No. Okay, I hate Edward Bernays. I know you're not <laughs> supposed to hate as a Christian, but um, Ed, Sigmund Freud um, was one of the most influential people in Western civilization. Um, he was one of the chief critics of Christianity. I actually think he has one of the greatest criticisms of Christianity in that it's all wish fulfillment. Um, but Sigmund Freud, even though his theories have largely been proven wrong, uh, was very effective in making sex the most important thing for everyone. 
obviously it's always been like a very basic desire that people have had, but Sigmund Freud basically said everything we do, the reason behind it is sex. Okay, so Sigmund Freud has a cousin or nephew named Edward Bernays. And Edward Bernays during World War One um, works in the propaganda thing and he takes his uncle's ideas and he uses them. So Edward Bernays does, uh, he dropped that you're going to, so he, on the German soldiers, because he's working for the Allies, he, he drops um, pamphlets that say, your wife is probably back home having an affair while you're fighting the front. He does this one thing that's genius and also super twisted. He drops extra large condoms on the German soldiers uh, labeled for Americans, and they're labeled small. So these German soldiers, right, okay, so like, you can, all right, like the guy is just twisted. So, okay, and then um, Edward Bernays, uh, after war is over, he like writes a book called Propaganda, and in it he says the um, sheep or the masses can be, um, propaganda can work just as well in peacetime as in wartime. Uh, the sheep can be convinced. It's a famous book. Every advertising person does it because he was the first advertiser. And so let me just give you a few things Edward Bernays did. Um, Lucky Strikes came to him and they wanted him to sell cigarettes to women. And so for two years, Edward Bernays started promoting, parading out. This is like early 19th, 20th century or 19th, uh, whatever is 1900 and like 20. Yeah. Um, he starts parading out thin women because before then, like the beauty ideal was more like a normal woman. Right. So he starts parading out very thin women and for two years makes them kind of like the, and then he pitches lucky strike as a way to get thin and it worked. Mm -hmm. He then connected cigarettes to smoking. If you've ever seen or on cigarettes, to uh, sex, if you've ever seen a couple uh, light up after they make love in a movie, that's an Edward Bernays special. Okay, so here's my point, because I'm with you. Like, I'm with you on so much of what you're saying. I think secular society lays a lot of problems at the foot of the church, and and half of it we deserve. We, we treated people who were gay very poorly. We did a lot of you know, bad stuff. But I would say, show me a culture, any culture that got sex right, any culture in human history. And let's, let's talk about that because I don't think today is good at all. I think it's a dumpster fire. Have you heard of rethinking sex by a provocation? It's by um, a Washington post, uh, um, but it just came out like three months ago I and it's, not. it's like what you just said about cis white or cis gendered men, like it, things have not gotten better sexually. I think the myth of progress is really, really bad. And part of what I would say about, about this is, have you ever watched Mad Men? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Don Draper. Edward Bernays is basically Don Draper. Right. What you call love. So you say love is love. What you call love is what guys like me made invented to sell nylons. And and I really do think there's some truth to that. Like 
we have been told that the most fundamental thing about a human being is their sexuality. When in reality, it is like a very small piece of that. Well, and I think that is true. Like your people are bigger than their sexuality. You have an identity and a community beyond that. And I think love is love is like a, it can be a community. It can be whatever it is. But I also think there is validation in like humans want partnership. Humans want a mate, like, right? Like that connection is something like a lot, not everybody, but like a lot of people want in their life. And that is a valid thing for people to want um, as part of their worldview and existence and finding a partner to go through this life with. And it shouldn't matter who that partner is. Um, And I say like, so I like behind me on the screen, you see there's like a picture of a dude. Like, I don't know if you can see that like over my shoulder. I can't. It's like, I see like a screen almost. Yeah, it's like blurry. Um, so that is my long-term boyfriend who was killed by a drunk driver a little over a year ago. Um, I'm so sorry, Jessica. Uh, but he's he's black. And I yeah. spent like five years in a relationship with this wonderful, wonderful man. And yesterday, so today is, we're recording this on June 13th. Yesterday was June 12th, which is Loving Day. It is the anniversary of the yeah. day that interracial marriage became legal in the United States. And in interracial relationships and interracial marriage was like a huge sticking point for the church 50 years ago. Like I would not have been, 50 years ago, I would not have been able to be out in public with him. I would not have been able um to like go out to dinner with him without like risk of harassment and like violence. Um, I would not have been accepted in a church community well after 50 years ago. There are still a lot of church communities that wouldn't have accepted that. Um, Yeah. I heard, I have a a black minister friend who's married to a white uh, woman and they were in Mississippi like seven years ago and they got treated like yeah. incredibly rudely. It is. And, so, and, and, and so when I say like, um, when like back to the point about like the LGBTQ community in the church, um, I'm not saying that's like their primary identifier, but the construct of the Christian church privileges heteronormative yeah it's heteronormative it privileges reality is heteronormative but reality necessarily shouldn't be heteronormative like if we should take a step back of like next generation like that is there are ways to reproduce without like sure in modern society but like so when I say that a space isn't inclusive I'm not saying like that you should center sexuality as like a piece of it I think uh purity culture which we could do a whole like conversation sure. on how awful purity culture is for healthy you. relationships um, yeah. as an adult but you are saying like everybody has to give up something to be part of our faith community but I don't have to give up this just you have to give up this because it's so when I was at Highland I was trying when I was at Highland I was trying to get like um, are married couples to fast from sex for a season 
to like help build empathy and bridges with our LGBT members. Um, just so they would like be aware of how much that is. And I realize that sounds maybe dumb <laughs> on the outside, but can, can I cut to the chase here? Cause I yeah. do think, um, one, this is we're running out taking of time. up a lot of your time, <laughs> but here's what I would like you to know. I think you're more Christian than you realize. And I know it's uh, maybe that's offensive, but I think it's true. <laughs> I think you, you alluded to this early on when you said like, it's the kind of moral framework I raised, I was raised in, but you brought up like loving day. And I would say that was a symptom of Christianity's weakness, not its strength. Like in the sense of that was because, okay, so here's a question for you, Jessica. Why shouldn't people be racist? Because, and, and consider this, because I think the very thing that our generation is walking away from, as they walk away from Christianity, unbeknownst to them, they're actually walking towards it, not away from And I would say, like, I would say there's probably a piece of that that is true, because the Christianity I was raised in was heavily racist. We talk about, like, mm-hmm. we haven't mentioned this yet, but, like, the ham myth and like Noah's son. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Gosh. Like there's some sure, like yeah. crazy ass That's stuff. Bull. That's bull. Yes. Yeah. There's some crazy ass stuff in the Christian tradition. Um, and no, I no, think, that's not in the Christian tradition. That was invented by slaveholders in the South. But and it is the Christian. Slave- tra- but it is the Christian tradition in modern, right? Like, and so I understand that you're saying, like, if you go back to like, like the way back, stuff. that it's not the real there, stuff. But if you go it's not into even way a, back, if you go like into came out, I'm sorry. a church, if you go into like a regular Protestant church, particularly in the South, like what you are going to experience in that church is more of that like layers of bullshit people have added on than it is like regular faith. And so when I say I've like walked away, I have like all of that is like pretense and I can't, I, I'm not here for it. Um, and there is no faith community that is perfect, right? Which is why I say I don't have a faith community at all because, like, there are denominations of Christianity that have done a better job than, like, Protestants have um, evangelicals and, you know, conservative evangelicals in the United States. Like, there are groups that have done a better job for than we have historically, right? Like, slavery... Sure racism like all that kind of stuff Catholics came out really close really early against slavery right but then you've still got like misogyny is a huge part of like faith communities all over the place right like women are Mm -hmm. still second class community like second class citizens in a lot of communities which is how we started this conversation um so I think And I think a lot of people in our generation, a lot of people I know who have left faith and have left ministry, there's a lot of us that went to school together who have like walked away. Um, I think we're walking away. I can only speak for myself, but I'm walking away from all that crap. And I am not willing to throw the baby off with the bathwater, so to speak, right? So there are pieces of the faith I grew up with that I am still like this 
makes sense to me, but I am also in a place of, I think a lot of this other stuff going back to that is valid. And so I am not going to put myself in a corner that says, yes, I believe X because I don't know that that's a hundred percent. Like, I'm not going to say, yes, I'm a Christian because I think that label of Christianity, A, comes with a lot of like extra baggage in modern Mm -hmm. society, but also it comes with some pieces of like foundational faith that I'm not comfortable with, right? Like I am a deist at its very core. I'm not quite an atheist. Um, I believe there may be something out there, um, but it is very hard. And so as a leader of a church community, um, I know you, I like, we know each other. Like I, I feel like I know kind of where you come from and like your earnestness and what your faith community may be believing. But you also have to understand that from the outside looking in the majority of what is considered modern Christian in America is not that. And that is, and it just shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be like, I can be accepted if I find this one church in this one place that's like trying to do this like authentically. Um, and there's just a lot of bad out there affiliated with the name Christian. You, you like, and yeah. there's, and I get, I get it. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, I, I think one of the things that was really tempting for me when I was a very progressive Christian for uh, a while. And part of it was that this, because I was trying to say, like, I, it's not like that. And I really still, um, you know, like, I can't explain or understand Trump Christianity, even though I love, like, my family. You know, when I come back from Abilene in 2016, I was like, what happened to my family? Um, because, it, but the same thing that's happened with sexuality in the West, I would say, has happened with politics in the sense that people are getting culturally discipled by Newsmax or, you know, Edward Bernays. And so uh, I feel like the answer to all the problems that we're talking about today are going deeper in the way of Jesus, not walking away from Jesus. So let me give you an example. Or I feel like I'm going to bring up another point of conversation and I'm trying to land the plane. But here's my conviction. My conviction is the description you gave of world religions is largely a secular version of it. I think the one place that almost all world religions do overlap is hospitality. And hospitality to the stranger. I think the definitions of good to others and kindness um, probably not as much as you think. I think there's more of an in-group in most religions. And the, the, um, the Christian faith is unique. It's very unique in the sense of the description of God being love. Like Buddhism doesn't say that. Islam doesn't say that. Um, secular humanism doesn't say that. That's Jesus of Nazareth. And the requirement, the definition of love is 
patient, kind, goodness, you know, like faithful, uh, does not envy, does not boast. And you're supposed to do that for your neighbor and your enemy. So here's, here's what I would say. Like racism, which you rightly have accused the American church, specifically the Southern American church of being, um, a fair point. And I think the only reason racism is wrong is because of Jesus of Nazareth and the letters of Paul. For thousands of years, people were racist, and nobody thought it was wrong. Of course you'd think your people were better. I would say that, like, American racism is particularly unique. Evil. And it's like, right, like, so slavery existed before America, but even in, like, Roman slavery or, like, some of these other places, like, it was like indentured servitude, which isn't right. right. Sure. It wasn't race. But it was based. not. But it but wasn't, it wasn't like, race based either. It wasn't race based owning of a human and all of their children right. in perpetuity. Right, like it's American racism is particularly insidious and horrific, sure. and it is a foundation of our government. Right, and so like literally three our founding three-fifths like yeah. it is a foundation of our government we fought a war over this no matter what people want to say like the state's rights to own slaves was like that was the right they were fighting for are you talking about the war of northern aggression <laughs> you definitely <laughs> went to school in arkansas um, no, no. <laughs> and i say that as someone who also went to school in well, arkansas. i know i was gonna say <laughs> but like i it is like, it is particularly insidious in America. And, like, racism does exist in other places, for sure. Um, but American racism is a unique beast. And sure. it is tied to our religion in a way that it is not in other places. That, and, you know, I am not an expert on, like, race relations in, like, other, like, every other country on the planet. Um, but the con, like, and this is like relatively recent history in America, right? Like we talk about this, like this happened like forever and ever ago, mm -hmm. but like there are people alive whose grandparents were owned, like were property right. and right. it is like, we are still dealing with the ramifications of this and it is a huge piece of American society and we still, for some reason, believe in American exceptionalism. And we teach in schools about, like, the westward movement. And we talk about all this kind of stuff. And we don't talk about the fact that, like, people lived here. Like, beyond, Beforehand? like, yeah. right, like, beyond slavery, like, there were people here. <laughs> like, we didn't discover anything. <laughs> Did you ever hear Louis C.K.? I know he's been disgraced now, but Louis C.K.'s bit on how arrogant white people are, that Christopher Columbus comes to America and he thinks it's India. And so he's like, hey, look, there's people. Are you guys Indians? And they're like, no, no, you're thinking of somewhere else. And he's like, no, this is India. And he's like, no, it's not. And he's like, and then we call them Indians, and we're still calling them that. Yes. Like, well, and it's, there's another comedian, um, Eddie Izzard, who does a bit on, he's yeah. British, and he does a bit on, yeah, like, colonialism, and he's like, no no flag, no country, right? Like, this idea that, like, white people are like, if you yeah, don't have yeah. a flag, you're obviously not a country, we're going to put a you flag here. 
<laughs> like no flag, no country. If you don't have a flag, you're not a valid society. Um, and there's just this sense in, it is all tied together in Christianity like this. Sure. And it shouldn't be, but like we have this history here of like American exceptionalism and invalidating like native people and racism and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff is this hugely insidious part of America that we've never come to terms with. And like there are examples of cultures and countries who have done the work of like we did some messed up shit like let's figure this out germany is an excellent recent yeah, history example right. of, of like holocaust like you're right they, they we did, did some really like messed up shit and we're gonna like they have laws they have the way they talk about things in school the way they educate people mm-hmm. like we are not gonna do this again um we are going to set up our culture to make sure this doesn't happen and white Americans seem to be incapable of facing the hard truth that this is our history, whether or not we want it to be. It is factually our history. And you are going to have to be uncomfortable dealing with that. And that, in a lot of ways, is tied into how religion works. It's why when you go to a small town in the South, you have a white Baptist church here and a black Baptist church over there. And you've got a first one here and a second one there and a church of Christ there and your AME church down the corner. And so much of that is tied to like segregation. And Mm -hmm. like that is all still just like hugely influencing American Christianity. Um, The white version of it. Yes. The white version. So here, Here's what here's what I would say. You were preaching to the choir, and I'm not trying to say this as like a virtue signaling thing here. I'm trying to, when Martin Luther King Jr. stands up and has I have a dream speech, there's this line where he says, With this faith. He he is and you, the people who are at the civil rights, my favorite part of that video is what they're wearing. Because you know what they're wearing, Jessica? They're wearing their church clothes. Because this whole vision for like, it came from church. It sincerely did not come from D.C. It came it, from church. Well, yes. Paul, but, no, hold on. Let the- me finish this. <laughs> so, Paul, when when Paul writes every letter, grace and peace, that is the Jewish uh, greeting for peace is the Jewish greeting. Grace is the Greek greeting. There has never before in human history been someone who wrote down, in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. That idea is brand new in human history. You can Google, you can research this. So the idea that racism is wrong came squarely from the vision of Jesus of Nazareth. And I am yet to find somebody who can give me a compelling argument against that. So what Dr. King does is call us back to the truer version of Christianity, not away from it. And this is what I mean with Like, there was an Atlantic article, I think I shared it in that Facebook group that we're in, that 81% of white evangelicals voted for Trump. But when they dug into that, it was not people who were, like, going to church. It was people who had left church, for the most part. Like, it was people who were part of a Facebook group um, or watched a Joel Olstein live stream from time to time. And what I'm trying to say is a lot of this... what I'm trying to say to our generation is the very stuff you're walking away from might be stuff you're walking away to because the vision for that, the deepest kind of moral intuitions we have 
yes, church has screwed up a whole lot. Yeah, we've missed the we've missed the boat of what the high calling Jesus has had for us. But the answer to that, I don't think, is to jettison this, especially because what we actually want, I think, is found the other direction. Okay. The energy <laughs> welcome now. <laughs> no, I I just where I was gonna jump in, like white people have a and I say this as a white person, I don't know if watching the podcast you get the video. I am white if you didn't know, couldn't tell. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, look we, you've we been have, a part of a group called KKK at the very beginning, probably clued them in a little right, bit. <laughs> right. Uh Tri Kappa. Our jerseys clearly said Tri Kappa, not the case. <laughs> um so the like white people have a history of like being like Martin Luther King Jr. was all about peace and pacifism and he like all this kind of stuff. No, yeah. He was I, like he was like a radical rabble rouser who sure. against Vietnam like, War. That's like, right. Him was, and Malcolm X had a lot in common. Like he was leading marches and protests and digging to SNCC and like it is it was not a like hand holding kumbaya, they sure. will come to the table movement. Sure. He was arrested a bunch of times. Uh, over a um, hundred. And like so I just was like, let's like be clear. It was all I'm not, not just like Dr. King yeah. something. He's so not. I was like, like, I've been in his office. I have done the work on Dr. King. I yeah. So I was like love. waiting for you to and, like, I was like yeah. seeing where you went with that. I do think um, like he was a deeply like faith driven man. And I think his. And the civil rights movement was. that Yes. Like that is. And I think part of that is um, like culturally where people are from and what they believe and how they did that work. Uh, and a lot of like abolitionist movements were faith-based, like Quakers, huge into abolitionists. Uh-huh. Which because, churches of Christ were related to. Yeah. My right. entire like family history, like I come from a long line of Quakers um, that at some point converted to the church of Christ. And I don't know where we took a left-hand turn to wind up like where we did. Um, I don't think left is the way y'all went. No, right. There was a hard right. Like Quaker to church of Christ is like a hard right turn. I love the Quakers. Um, I freaking love them. So it just, like, there is a lot of, so what I want people like listening to this to come out of here with and what you to come away with is like, I, while I say I am not, a member of the church. I'm a believer in a higher power. I think the people who are doing the work to believe fiercely in a way that is authentic and true to what you believe, um, like good on you, keep doing it. Um, but be aware that there are like, as you're doing that and as you're living that faith, like have the self-awareness to know that the other people who wear your label loudly, loudly in the public space, whether or not they're doing the work weekly and joining you and your faith community, or they're just wearing the label in the hat and the, they're throwing the cross on the back of their truck, like whatever Mm -hmm. it is, they are very, very loudly not any of this stuff we've been Mm -hmm. like, you know what I'm saying? They are very loudly racist and homophobic and misogynist and, aggressively so 
And that is the people who are not part of your community. That is what they know of Christianity because that is what they see. That is what you encounter on a day-to-day basis um, in the real world. Um, And that is very off-putting regardless of what you believe personally, your faith, like your church or your faith community believes what people are interacting with is very, very negative. And Mm -hmm. it is frequently negative for people who are in that faith community with you, myself included. Uh, And that's Mm. why we step away because it's a, it can be a very negative experience. And when you have that negative experience that you are no longer safe or comfortable in that environment and that environment no longer becomes for you, um, so you step away. And that is literally when we talk about like my faith journey and earlier we were talking about like the threads of kind of why I wound up stepping away. A huge part of that was probably also driven by the fact that I was never fully welcome in a faith space if I wasn't willing to sit down and shut up. Mm. Right? Like as a Did woman. Did any part of you consider going to another like tradition? Like an Episcopal church or Anglican church? Yeah, like I, anything I did after the time I left Abilene was, um, after I left like ministry for a little while, I was still like trying to explore and Episcopal was like where I felt most comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have like looked at other faith communities, but again, like I said, I have like very firmly held beliefs about how I, what my worldview is and how I think we live on it, how I live honestly and ethically. And I have yet Mm -hmm. to find a faith community that like aligns with that. So I'm perfectly comfortable just existing um, and being Mm -hmm. respectful of other people and their beliefs. But yeah, like I appreciate that you're doing this podcast and I appreciate the Facebook group and we have these conversations Um, and it's tough work, but like the self-awareness that like the community needs a lot of work, (laughs) if that makes sense, like the, the Christian, like the, the Christian church needs a lot of work and sometimes you do more harm than good and are pushing people away. Um, and maybe what they're going away towards is closer to your version of Christianity, like when they step away from some of these faith communities, but they are walking away from a name and a label as part of this because the interaction is so negative. Mm. You know, um, I don't think you need me to say this, but as somebody we've known each other for a long time, I'm sorry you got treated poorly. Like <laughs> It is. It, yeah, I, I, got, I, I made peace with it. Like, it is, okay. it is a, and I, my experience at Harding wasn't 100% negative. Obviously, I stayed for all four years. I made amazing friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, my life worked out in a really great way. I love DC. I love my career. I do not think I would have lived, like, moved here had I not moved here for um, a ministry job, even though like church didn't work out. So I think in the end, Mm -hmm. like all's well that ends well. Um, but I also think I'm just stronger willed and more resilient than you are very strong willed (laughs) and resilient. And so So, I can come out of this and be like, yeah, whatever. 
Um, but there are a lot of people that are just going to be like, F that. Um, they're going to have negative experiences and they're never going to have like an honest conversation with you about it because yeah. they don't feel comfortable doing that. Are you, are you a reader, Jessica? Yes, obviously. Behind me, there's like a huge like set of bookshelves. <laughs> I see Harry Potter. There is Harry Potter. This side is like fiction. This side is yeah, nonfiction. I love Harry Potter. I've read that to my kids so many times. <laughs> so Dominion by Tom Holland. He's not a believer. Um, it's a great history. Like he's a British guy. Um, but he does a history of how uh, Christianity changed the world. And it just came out like a year ago. And it's got rave reviews. Um, the last few chapters are woke, love, and science. And um, his whole thing is like woke is Jesus. It's Jesus two hundred one. Like, um, I, I I really think you'll enjoy the book. Okay, um, I I will look into it. I like I read. Like I still have books from from undergrad and seminary and I still like read theology. I got a master's in history with an emphasis in genocide studies. Uh, oh, <laughs> so like it, but that is a lot of like, faith a very specific emphasis. it is, but I was like interested in like cultures that have like cyclical violence and how you like mm-hmm. interrupt the cycle of violence and faith and self-identification has a lot to do with cycles of violence. Um, so I do a lot of reading about faith communities. Um, so I'll definitely like, I'll read it. Um, I'd love to hear what you think about it after you do. Yeah. Well, Jessica, thank you for taking time to do this. It's really good to catch up. One of the great things about doing this is I get to catch up with people I haven't talked to in a long time. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for your honesty and candor this was a fun this is one of my favorite conversations i don't have a filter i'm very enneagram eight i will tell you exactly what you think uh (laughs) so no we've experienced that thank you (laughs) sorry Mm -mm. not actually not sorry not sorry yeah that's right stand by everything i said i'm conditioned to say sorry because that's what i do um but i'm not sorry that's what arkansas (laughs) did yeah yeah i got you all right well uh providential deism bless you Um, (laughs) good talking to you it was good talking to you thank you so much thanks for listening to bonafide if you like what you've heard please share with your friends and review on whatever platform you get your podcasts